Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Brisbane podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. In a world that is dominated by narratives of fear, anxiety, and worry, what does it mean that joy is not dependent on outward circumstances, but on the inner state of one's heart? You've joined us in our series, Philippians, where we are exploring what Paul meant when he wrote to have joy in everything and the importance of living in unity among believers for the sake of the gospel. We pray that this message is a blessing. If you could be upstanding for the reading of the scriptures. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from being from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. It's the word of the Lord. Awesome. Thanks, Christy. Thank you, Christy, for that reading. Friends, how good. How good. If we've not had the pleasure of meeting before, my name's Alex. I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, I've been told that I got a bit of colour, which is news to me, because we have just spent two weeks mostly in England. And so how do you get a tan in England? I don't know, but it's happened apparently. Um, We, my wife and I, Kath, we just had the most wonderful time away. And we see holidays not as escape, but as retreat. Um, because retreats is something that God affords us to uh, not to escape a place, but actually to find solace and rest that what we do in the place that God's called us to would be all the more intentional, all the more fueled by the Spirit of God. And so we just want to say thanks for being a community that loves each other well in such a way that, man, in one way, I imagine hopefully we were missed, but at the same time, um, the team did such an incredible job uh, without me. And I just, I felt like, awesome. I didn't really need to, <laughs> like, I don't know where to start now coming back in, which is a beautiful feeling to have. I've not checked my emails. I've not, it's just weird. So um, let's get the cobwebs out of the preaching bicycle uh, this afternoon and we'll go from there. Before I jump in, just wanted to say a few things. Um, uh, the first is that um, uh, uh, our time overseas was beautiful and I had a number of takeaways, but one of the key takeaways for me from this conference was um, was this. The, the guy who started Alpha International, which is a wonderful resource given to churches as a vehicle through which they can see people meet Jesus. Alpha. We do it here at church. Um, he had this wonderful phrase uh, that he talks about their churches with. And the phrase was something like this, that Alpha is our front door. 
and church planting is our back door. And they made the note that um, in Australia, there's around 23 to 24 million people. Don't quote me on those numbers. Um, but there's around 23 to 24 million people. And every Sunday, about a million of them go to Catholic churches and a million of them go to Protestant churches. And the Christian church is really good at fighting with one another to try and get the numbers from one another to their churches. And then they said, what would it look like if we focused on the 22 out there? And it just lit my heart up because my heart for this church at this Brisbane city is that we would be a church that doesn't grow because people think, oh, that's a sexy new thing that that church that is doing that my church isn't but that people in Rochdale South where I live, or Griffin where Dylan and Casey live, or North Lakes where someone else might live, or Red Hill where I'm not actually gonna label, there it is. I was like, where's my Rochdale South people at when I said Rochdale South, where are we at? Three of us, awesome. We'll talk to them at small group about that on Thursday night. But I was like, man, what would it look like for the guy that makes my coffee in Rochdale South to meet Jesus? What would it look like for the guy from whom I buy my newspaper to meet Jesus? All of us come from all corners of Brisbane City and the goal, if we are truly a church that's fueled by the Spirit of God, is not that we look at a church down the road and be like, I reckon we can do it better so we might get... That's weird. That's actually not Christianity. The goal is that God's given us a message so powerful, so life-changing, so transformative that those who don't currently know Jesus in our spheres of influence might be like, who do you know that I don't know that Jesus Christ could be the answer to? And so I would just say, that's what fuels my heart. And Alpha is one of our front doors for that happening. But the back door for that happening is, this year, friends, we want to plant a church. And our vision as a church is more people, more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. And I just want to say, I've probably not been as vocal about this as I really want to be, but just wanted to say, in a year's, not a year's time, by the end of this year, goodness me, I want us to be prayerful about sending Dylan and Casey Ball to plant a church in Moreton Bay region. Come on. Isn't that awesome? And my hope is that by the time that happens, we wouldn't see that as something Dylan and Casey do and a few people that live in far north Queensland in a place called Griffin. That we'd actually see it as something that New Life Brisbane does. And so coming up, there'll be some information nights that Dylan will announce and I'll help announce. And I know, for example, that when the time comes, I won't be going with Dylan. And that's going to be a sigh of relief for us because I am called to pass the New Life Brisbane. But I'm going to go to the information nights because I want to know that by the time Dylan and Casey plant this church, I want to know what to pray for. I want to know what to get behind. And once they've planted that church and a year goes by, two years go by, I can track with them relationally, with proximity, and celebrate their wins and mourn their challenges alongside them. And so I'd just say, wouldn't it be wonderful if when an information night comes up, even if you live in Rochdale South, like me and Kath, you would say, because you're a member of this church, actually, I'm going to go to the information night so I can know how to pray because a win for Dylan and Casey is a win for me because we're part of the same family. More people more like Jesus, by planting and leading thriving local churches. Doesn't that sound awesome? Let me continue our series in Philippians by starting off with prayer. Father, I'm just, Lord, I'm just reminiscent of the words of that song, let the King of glory enter in. Father, when we sing those words, we're not talking about letting you into this building. You're here. But we're talking about letting you into your, our hearts.
And Father, we acknowledge we just don't have the strength within ourselves to open up that door. We need you to come from the outside in and do a work within us so that these words from history become your living word to us today. So come Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Just to catch us all up, we're in a series in the book of Philippians, a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the early church. And it's kind of his favorite church that he's writing to. He makes no critiques of these people as he writes the letter. It's all, I'm so grateful, I'm so joyous, I'm so thankful for all you're doing in Jesus Christ, your partnership, your following in the way of Jesus, your apprenticeship under the morality of Jesus. It's all thankful. In week one, Dylan invited us to consider the invitation that we can indeed know joy. And he made this case that joy is something that we can have on the inside of us that nothing on the outside of us can take away. I don't know if you know this, but happiness is different from joy. Happiness actually comes from the old Latin term happenstance, which in other words means that the happiness we feel as a fleeting feeling is based on circumstance. But the Christian story has got a way different offer. It's that we can have something from God perpetually, indefinitely, without qualification on the inside of us. Joy, an inner confidence, an inner peace that nothing on the outside of us can take away. Do you know joy? Week one. Week two... Scott sort of amplified that message by saying, actually, there's all these things that life can throw at us, suffering, death, decay, questions, uh, disillusionment, and that that joy that God invites us into through the Apostle Paul in this letter is not disqualified in the face of those things. And this week, I want to look at what is, I think, one of the coolest passages in Scripture and walk through what I think is one of the most beautiful things about the story of Jesus. Philippians 2, verse 1 to 11. In the middle of the 20th century, there was something called the space race. You know about this? People were trying to send people to the moon and the big battle between Russia and America was who was going to get there first, the space race. And at the time, people had made it to space before, but the question was going to be, what will be the nation that plants their flag on this sort of lunar rock just on the outskirts of Earth's orbit? Now, we know the Americans got there. And fast forward 10, 20, 30 years, and you've got a hundred, not a hundred, a number of people that have now been to space and come back. And sociologists started doing studies on the things they came back reporting. And something they came back with a testimony of is something that people have now called the overview effect. The overview effect. And the overview effect is when people come back from space and the testimony that runs through the thread of all their lives is this sense that when I looked at earth from far away and saw all of it just as a speck, it humbled me, made me feel small. And I realized the grandeur of the story and the fact that I am not the central figure. The overview effect. Neil Armstrong, the guy who made it to the moon, he had these words to say. He said... It suddenly struck me that that tiny pea, pretty and blue, was the earth. I put my thumb up and shut one eye, and my thumb blotted out the planet earth. I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very small. And I think the passage we come to this afternoon has a similar effect. Paul does in six verses, verses 6 to 11, sorry, 5 to 11, 6 to 11, yep, now that, first time around, does in six verses what I think the Bible does in 23,145 verses. He gives the story that before time, Jesus, who is God, and in time stepped into our reality, not just as a random historical figure, but God in the flesh on a mission. 
And He came for us, died for us, lived for us so that we might become like Him, come into a relationship with Him and ultimately be His agents and ambassadors in the world. He does that in six, five, five verses. And you read this passage and I think the effect it should have on us, and this is the invitation for us this afternoon, you read this passage and you think, Jesus is beautiful. My goal this afternoon is to help us see Jesus' beauty. Like, this is amazing. I can't believe we get to follow this guy. Like, did we hear those words before? Jesus, who was God, didn't consider his divinity something to be held onto, clutched onto, but actually stepped down out of the comfort of heaven. So we're going to walk through that. And as we do, you'll see a table behind me on the screen. I love a good table. And you'll see that verses 3 to 4 instruct what verses 6 to 11 model. And it all hinges on verse 5, which is going to be a repeated thing we come up against in the book of Philippians. Paul is going to say repeatedly to the church, it's not that you've got a behavioral problem. It's not that you've got a spirituality problem. It's that you've got a thinking problem. Think this way. Adopt Jesus' mindset. Renew your brain. Consider these things for yourself. And verse 5 makes what Paul says in verse 3 to 4, what Jesus perfectly models in verses 6 to 11. Now, you'll see that I've left out verses 1 to 2, and that's because I want to go there right at the end because I think the power of verse 1 to 2 is all the more felt helpfully after we've experienced the command of verses 3 to 4 and the beauty of verses 6 to 11. So let's jump into it. We'll see three things. One, the emptiness of self-ambition. Two, the beauty of humility. And three, the way of service. If you're taking notes, go for it. And if you've got your Bible here with you, I'd encourage you to have that out because my hope is, is that as we walk through, we'll see the command in verse three and the corresponding beauty of how Jesus did what we couldn't do for ourselves in verses six to 11. Does that make sense? Awesome. Two panels, all of which are making the same three points as we walk through. Awesome. The emptiness of self-ambition. Here's what it says. Paul says, verse 3, part A, do nothing out of self-ambition or vain conceit. Now, last term, my small group and I, we walked through the book of Philippians and we got to this passage and we were like, hey, what stands out to you? And this recurring thread that came through each person's feedback was this particular passage here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. You know what I would like it to say? Hey, Alex, we acknowledge that you and most of the decisions you make, there's a tinge of selfishness. We just realize that's probably the case, Alex. And we'd love it if you could just try and tilt the dial just a touch so you did a few more selfless things in your life. I actually think, if I'm truly honest, that most things I do in my life have a bit of selfishness in them. Like I just tinged with, you know, like let's say I'm um, preparing the menu for dinner for the week. And I mean, that sounds very nice, doesn't it? But I'm preparing the menu and, and what foods do I choose? And uh, I really love pasta. doesn't make me feel bloated at the moment. Maybe in 10 years time, different story, who knows? So I prepare pasta for our weekly menu. And, uh, but I know it, you know it doesn't sit as well with uh, my dog, Jack. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, it doesn't sit as well with Kath. And so, weird joke, weird joke. Hey, I'm getting the cobwebs out. Give me some grace, it's helpful. <laughs> And so I make pasta for our week. Hey, move with me here, church. Move with me. Sorry about that. But we, we make pasta for the week. And all of a sudden, the menu that I've devised our week around eating is more garnered towards what satisfies me than what... Now, obviously, it's nice that I make food, and that's really great, and prepare the menu. But it just made me think, gosh, actually, I think most of the things I do in life are like just tinged with a bit of selfishness. Like I don't feel like I can escape it. 
And I, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if Paul came along and was just like, hey, just tilt the dial a bit? But he doesn't. Now, why? Well, the why is because what Paul is arguing for in this passage is unity. And Paul acknowledges that putting yourself at the center of your own story is actually kryptonite for the development of community. Community will not work if we are all the key agents in our own story. But I don't think what Paul is addressing here is selfishness per se. I actually think he's doing something a bit more nuanced. And you'll see some of the work on the screen behind me here. The old King James Version. Now, this is the NIV, New International Version. The old King James Version translates this phrase as um, not empty glory, vain glory, vain glory. But the actual word that Paul uses is kinodoxia. Kinodoxia, and I'll just spend one second here before we move into applying this to our own lives, but kinodoxia combines two words, kino, meaning empty, which makes sense of actually the branding of that gambling thing. Anyway, empty, and doxia, glory. So what priests did in the temple is they would doxazo God. What early Christians did in the upper room is they would doxazo God. And so what Paul does is he says, actually, it is empty glory I want you to avoid. Or in other words, desire for glory. Take that hunger within you that lands itself on elevating your own individual self and denigrating others and put it to bed. Now, this is really huge in Roman culture because in Roman culture, there's something that we want to call honor culture. And in honor culture, he was the sort of belief in society. The belief in society was that everyone had a station and a status and a position. So at the top, you've got Caesar. And Caesar is likened to a god in Roman society. And because he is a god, he has certain rights and privileges and things that he is he, he, he is able to have because of his status and position. Likewise, under Caesar, you've got heads of the family, fathers, and then you've got women and children. This is Roman culture at the time, women and children. And then under them, you've got slaves. And there was this belief that each station in life deserved a certain kind of honor, which therefore garnered a certain number of privileges, which therefore led people to be entitled based on their status and their position. This sounds nothing like 21st century Brisbane, does it? Paul would say, we all think through our lives based on position and status. And all of us feel a certain sense of entitlement. Now, this is hard. This is a hard word. Great first point, Alex. Welcome back to church. Good to have you in the country. Let me put it this way. We might think we don't have selfish ambition and therefore expect certain entitlements based on our own position in life. But I actually think all of us have categories that are super meaningful to us through which we either judge others or because of which we expect glory and honor ourselves. Let me put it this way. Um, maybe you've been at church for a while and um, I think we do this in church. I've done this in church. But we think, man, I've been here for ages. I've served a long time. This new person, they don't really know how things work around here. And so I'm not going to go the extra mile in relationally extending myself to love them, welcome them. Like, I'm the, I'm, I'm the one. I'm the one that's been here for a long time. I'm the one who understands Christianity. Maybe for you it's not serving at church. Maybe it's like your thoughts about God. And so uh, I do this, gosh, 
me, 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 oh my. It's I know the biblical story really, really well, and that gives me a certain kind of position in this community because of which it's really easy for me to judge others or that kind of thing. Maybe you find yourself, let's take the church out of it, maybe you find yourself at work and it's like, man, I, I, I built this company. You know what I'm saying? I built this thing. This is mine. And because it's mine, what I say goes and where I want it to go is the ultimate thing that matters. And on one level, it's not bad, actually, to have jurisdiction and responsibility over a company. But Paul would say, just dial down, push back that thing in you that seeks glory based on the position that you've got. Because here's the point I would think that the Bible more broadly would ask us to consider. That journey of self-ambition and hunger for glory actually creates an endless cycle within which you as an individual, we as individuals become less relevant to the people we love and more hungry for glory we actually already have in another way through Jesus Christ. Here's what Tim Keller says. He says it like this, the more important you act, the less important you become, And the less important you feel, the more important you feel you need to act. Has anyone felt that before? The biblical story would claim that there is a glory-desiring hunger in the heart of every single human. And the reason that's the case is because actually God made us to worship and know his glory, the glory of the Garden of Eden, that God made us for himself and our hearts therefore are restless till they find their rest in him. And ever since we've been on the outside of the Garden of Eden, our hearts have longed for this glory, but we keep trying to tap it in all these different ways. And what Paul is addressing here is the way in which we do so through selfish ambition, vain glory, the desire to use our status for privilege and gain privileges and success because of position we find ourselves in. I'll finish up this point in a moment, but here's Paul's basic bottom line. Stop that. It's not the way of Jesus. Jesus people are not those who use their position to get certain entitlements to privileges. We're people who use our position to give up that success so others might be flourishing and served well. That's the way of the kingdom. Point number one, the beauty, not the beauty. Point number one, the emptiness of self-ambition. Uh, later, and here's Paul's amplification in the Jesus story. He says it like this, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So here's the bottom line of Paul from verses 3 to 4, 6 to 11. He makes this claim that the Bible labels selfish ambition as empty and labels the emptying of self as godlike. I'll say that again. The Bible labels self-ambition as empty, not holy ambition, not God-ordained ambition, but selfish ambition as empty, and labels emptying of self as godlike. It's the way of Jesus. It's what he does. Flips the script and gives us a new kingdom to inhabit and show to the world. So number one, I keep forgetting it, goodness me. The emptiness of self-ambition. Number two, the beauty of humility. He says this, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Here's what I've discovered in life. I've discovered that there is a certain kind of freedom that only comes with humility. Now, as I say that, it almost proves it untrue because I'm saying that, right? So just work with me for a second. But I've discovered truly that humility is one of the fundamental Christian virtues, which opens up the life of all the other virtues. I'd say it like this. Actually, I'll use the title of a book to say it. A few years ago, I read a book by a lady named Melina Grays, and I think I might have talked about it before. 
But I just want to quote the title to us because it captures so beautifully what I think Paul is trying to address here. He, she says it like this in the title. The title is called The Way Up Is Down, Becoming Yourself By Forgetting Yourself. And it's this beautiful invitation that only humility guarantees. Humility is the virtue through which joy, peace, life, relationship, love, and learning are all guaranteed. How? Well, unless we're humble, we actually can't look at mentors in our life and say, I want to learn from you. Right? Unless we're humble, we can't take the gifts and the good things that we've got responsibility for, and rather than being anxious, be grateful to God for them, because we just see them as burdens that we need to have responsibility for. But if we're humble and say, God, everything you've got in my life is a gift from you, I receive it humbly, then it turns what is burden into delight, what is duty into blessing. Unless you've got humility, you actually can't cultivate relationship with individuals because all you do is end up talking about yourself. Unless you've got humility, you you can't actually secure all the wonderful invitations of the Christian story to become the human God intends you to be by grace through faith because of the Spirit. You can't do it. But with humility, things really change. This came to the fore for me when I was reading a book a few years ago by a guy named Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray is a South African pastor, and he wrote a book called Humility. And I've, I've really put this book into practice, clearly. It was a joke, and you just weren't with me, friends. That's fine. But he's got some wonderful lines, and I just want to decipher off all these quotes, but I'll just give you two from this book, because I think they capture really beautifully. Here's the first one. It's not on the screen. He said it like this. Here is the path to the higher life down, lower down. Just as water always seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God finds men and women humble and empty, his glory and power flow to exalt and bless. We'll take this one. Pride must die in you so that heaven can live in you. Now, this is a hard word. I acknowledge that, you know. If it's your first time here at New Life Brisbane, you're like, I did not come for this. I thought Christianity was about love and kindness. Actually, what I'm sharing today is the kind of thing that could unlock all the beauty of the promise of the Christian story by positioning us rightly as humble servants who understand the beauty of humility in a way that makes God, God, and me not, and me just a character in this wonderful story that he's been weaving from eternity past into eternity future, that this passage gives us a particular window into the story of Jesus around. Pride must die in you so that heaven can live in you. I wonder whether we're moving into a culture more broadly where humility is not a virtue we value as much. I don't know if you feel this. I feel this a little bit. And I think as a pastor in a church or even just a Christian in a faith community, I just want to say with like, without yelling it, you know, like, but maybe I will yell it. Who knows? Like, there is, there is a well to be plumbed in the pursuit of humility. And those who've tasted know. Like, something I've noticed, and it's not... I was chatting with some other pastor friends about this, and it's not New Life Brisbane in particular. It's, it's, it's not even just me in particular. It's like, I think it's just culture broadly. I think we ask less questions of elderly. Like when I, when I first came to faith, 
one of the things that our pastor would always say to us is like, get a mentor. And I was like, bro, chill out. But he's like, no, get a mentor. It'll change your life. And earlier this year, I got a mentor. But I haven't had one for the last year and a half before that. And I think part of it was pride. I was like, I got this, bro. I've read about pastoring a church. Piece of cake. But it's not even just asking questions of elders who've lived a life that we respect from which we can therefore ask questions, but even just one another, you know? Do you know the feeling you get when you can come to someone who you respect because they've lived a certain way or they've got success in a certain kind of area that you want to grow in or they seem to be more spiritually mature so you think, actually, I think I could get something from that. You just ask a question, how freeing that is. And it's just like, I don't know how to do this. Like I had a friend years ago and he just humbly said, I actually did not know how to pray. I didn't know. And so I just started hanging out with all the old prayer warrior women at my Pentecostal church and they taught me how to pray, right? And I was like, you need a humility for that. There are things I do not know how to do. There are things in the last year that I did not know how to do that I now know how to do because basically I couldn't survive without it and I had to ask a friend for help. I've asked people in this church for help. And that's not me just flashing my humility card around, although thank you very much. It's more the case that I'm just saying there is a depth to be plumbed from the Christian community if we'd all walk in humility and say, will you help? I don't know. So the challenge, I think, from this particular portion of the passage is this. Everyone in this room can ask a question to anyone else in this room this week about something they respect in them and say, can you teach me? What would our small groups look like if we did that? What would this community look like if we did that? We would grow in depth. Humility. Here's the objection that would come. Is there enough time for this objection? I'll give you one quote and move on to the next part. Is that all right? The objection is, well, Alex, does this mean that I need to be a doormat? You know? Let me quote my good friend, C.S. Lewis. He said it like this. Humility, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Which means humility actually gives you the kind of confidence that means you're not a doormat, but nor do you see yourself as God's divine gift to the world. We're just recipients of God's grace. If you pursue humility, you'll have the wherewithal to not get puffed up by praise or cut down by criticism. You just have freedom. Paul would say, in humility. Let's be a community that lives in humility. So number one, keep forgetting the title. Number two, the beauty of humility. Number three, the way of service. Paul says this, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And here's Jesus, the perfect example, verse seven. Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. I've shared this story before, but it's a wonderful story that I think captures the kind of thing we need to have to be service-orientated people. At the turn of the 20th century, William Booth and Catherine Booth, things were going really well with the denomination and movement they started. It's called the Salvation Army. And they wanted to encourage all their generals around the world at the time of Christmas, but they didn't have many ministry funds. Tithes were probably down, not a big deal. So they sent a telegram, but they only had a few letters that they could use the money they had in the bank would pay for. 
And so he thinks, how do I encourage the people that carry my movement across the world in a way that resonates with who we are and what they might be facing? How do I excite us around the mission that God's given us? And how do I capture what really sums up everything that we're about? Sent a telegram, everyone gets it, one word, others, others. And Paul in this passage and the wider biblical story would say actually the way of Jesus is to center yourself around serving others. The way of Jesus is to center yourself around serving others. And we know this is the case because Paul, in this passage, he's got a bit of a word play. Let me zoom in here for one moment and then I'll come back out of sort of the depths of some of the language stuff. He's got a bit of a word play. In John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus talks about how his being lifted up on the cross will be the means through which God brings all people to himself. You'll know the passage, very famous passage. And he uses a word there, hypso, or if you want to get really technical, hypso. And it just means to be lifted up, like a physical, like literal lifting up. When Jesus was lifted up on the cross, it came from the ground and up, and Jesus is here hanging down on the cross. When he's lifted up, that will be the means through which God reconciles and redeems all people. And we know that to be the gospel message, that because what Jesus did on our behalf, we can have relationship with God. We'll get there. That's verse one and two. And then Paul in this passage, he adds the word hyper onto it. And so what was a material, literal, uh, functional, mechanistic lifting up of Jesus on the cross, Paul in this commentary says that God used that as the means through which Jesus was hyper lifted up or exalted. What's Paul doing? Really fascinating wordplay. And you're like, I don't know Greek. How would I know this otherwise? Welcome to church. It's great to have you here. But like really fascinating. What's he doing? Paul is saying that the cross of Jesus wasn't just the means through which he redeemed humanity. It was the revelation through which he showed us what real kingship looks like. Now, you know, I was in London just last week and the coronation came through and the coronation had a royal chariot, had a royal procession and had a royal proclamation. And as it came and a royal throne and what came through, you'll see on the screen behind me, Prince, Prince Charles, now King Charles, it's Charles, right? Awesome, sweet. As an Australian in the Commonwealth, I feel like I need to apologise for that. I'm working on it. But he came through in this. It's ornate, it's austere, weighs four tonnes, requires six or eight Winchester horses, particularly bred for this moment, to win him through the crowd of people all cheering for him. It's a procession, royal procession. There's a royal chariot, royal procession, and lastly, a royal throne. He ascends the throne that sits in Buckingham Palace and... Westminster Abbey, again, (laughs) clearly, clearly I'm not a good expat, but that's fine. Paul is arguing in this passage that Jesus had a royal procession. His royal chariot, it wasn't a comfortable car, it was a torturous road. The procession, it wasn't accompanied by a cheering audience, but a sneering crowd. And his royal throne, it wasn't an ornate chair, but a brutal cross. And what the Bible does is it takes what looks like a win for the empire of Rome and actually proclaims it's a win for the kingdom of God. Why? Because the way forward in the kingdom is through service, sacrifice, being others-centered. And the point of the cross is that Jesus did for humanity what humanity couldn't do for itself. 
which means he's not just the model. He's not just the means. He's also the model for the new life that he has given us by the Spirit. The way up is down. The way to win is to serve. And the greatest thing in the Christian story is to become the least. And so here's what I want to say. I want to encourage us and I want to challenge us maybe just a little bit more if I can. I take no delight actually in doing that, but we'll get there. Some of you right now are serving. Just forget church for a moment. I want to encourage you. Isn't it wonderful that today is Mother's Day? And I just want to say to the mums in the room, this is the pastor of this church, great is your reward in heaven. You do things unseen. And you need to know that what you do is not something in a vacuum. It's actually the way of Jesus. It's not inconsequential. Like great is your reward in heaven. This is the way of Jesus. You are serving your kids. Late nights, early mornings, coming to church. Goodness me. And God would say through the model of the person of Jesus, this is good. This is godly. Good job. Keep it up. Happy Mother's Day. In the workplace, maybe you find yourself at the top of the organization chart. Here's what serving in the kingdom of God would mean for your place in the workplace. It means the higher up, Andy Stanley says this, the higher up on the org chart that I am, the more able to facilitate your success I am able to do. The higher up on the org chart I am, the more able I am to facilitate your success. Servant leadership, beautiful thing. It'll change the world, change your organization. <laughs> Marriages. Um, I don't know who says this, but they say if we take a servanthood mindset to our marriages, then we'll realize that marriage is about trying to have a race to the back of the line for our spouse. Elevating the other, mutually submitting, wonderful flourishing. If you do that, it'll change the world. It'll change your marriage. Race to the back of the line. In church, man, there's a beauty that comes in serving at church that actually I don't think we can experience any other way. One of the things we used to say at a church I used to go to is like, man, there's actually something you learn in stacking chairs at church that you couldn't learn any other way. And I just say, man, service in the kingdom of God in the local place to which he's called us, beautiful, wonderful. Would just invite us as a community to continue in that and celebrate the way it's already happening. 18th of May is one of the key ways we will do that. Volunteer celebration night. I had to put it in there, I'm sorry. Service, the emptiness of self-ambition, the beauty of humility, and the way of service. Can I invite you to stand? I want to pray for us. I said earlier that verses three to four, and just as I'm finishing here, I'd love to invite the band up behind me. Verses three to four command what verses six to 11 model. But all of it's only possible, and imperfectly so, if verses one to two are true. You'll see a table on the screen behind me. If Jesus is just a model that gives us a true North Star for how we should live our lives as Christians, the bar is too high. I said it before, I think most of the things I do, and I say this as a pastor, are just tilted, just touched, just hewed with a bit of selfishness. Maybe a lot, just depends who you ask, right? I can't do this. But that's why the way Paul writes this letter is so beautiful. He says it like this, verses one to two. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then. 
Now, some of us are here, and it might be our first time at church, and you've heard that all it means to be a Christian is to be like the Jesus guy on the screen. You've thought of Christianity as a way too high moral bar. And I would just say to you gently, that's not the Christian story. The Christian story is that this is what Jesus did in rescuing us to free us now in relationship with Him to imperfectly stumble forward, trying to be like Him for the sake of the world for the rest of our days. That in other words, what Jesus models with excellency, He makes possible only by relationship. And you don't qualify for a relationship by your ability to perform like this. You qualify for a relationship by receiving the grace He's made available to you because of this. Does that make sense? That in other words, the way into a relationship with God is not by trying to be as humble as we can without Him. Not by trying to um, deny self as best as we can without Him. Not as trying to serve others as best we can without Him. It's actually saying, I can't do this, God. In fact, let me put it this way. God, most things I do are a bit selfish. I can't do this. But you've reached out to me in Jesus. Lived the life I should have lived. Died the death that I deserve so that I can now come to you by grace through faith. Jesus was the one who denied himself. He didn't have selfish ambition. He gave his life so that ours might be saved. Jesus was humble. He gave up the comfort of heaven so that we might enter it. And Jesus served. He died a slave's death so that we might enjoy a king's eternity. And as I finish this message, I just want to invite anyone in the room who's never stepped into a relationship with Jesus almost ignoring verses 3 to 11, not because it's not important, it's secondary to the relationship that He offers us. Paul says it like this, any encouragement from being united with Christ? Are you, are you united with Christ? Any comfort from His love? Do you know His love? Any common sharing in the Spirit? Have you been given the Spirit of God? Okay, if and only if, then. So let's move to the if. Maybe we're going to close our eyes. Just posture our hearts for worship. We'll move into that in a moment. And if you have never been comforted by God's love, if you've never shared in the Spirit, if you've never been united with Jesus Christ, the best King, so we invite you right now, if you want to step into a relationship with Him, would you just raise your hand? In raising your hand, what you're saying is, Goodness me, I need help. I can't save myself, fix myself, make myself new. But Alex, you've told me this afternoon of someone who perhaps can. And so I want to say yes to that. And so if that's you, when you'd like to step into a relationship with Jesus, perhaps for the first time, would you just raise your hand where you are? Wonderful. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray. And we're just going to say, God, I'm sorry. Thank you for what you've done. Please come into my life. And we do this every week as a community because we think that this kind of prayer sums up really the posture of the Christian life. God, thank you. Sorry. Please. And so with all of our voices together as one community, can I just invite you to pray these words after me? Let's do it. God, thank you for Jesus. Lord, I'm sorry for the life that I have lived and continue to live. Thanks that that didn't stop you reaching out to me. 
please come into my life. Be my Saviour, my Lord and my King. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And friends, one of the things that um, I just love the rest of us to be invited into is, um, is just the virtue of humility. And to do that, let me just jump off the platform because I say this to myself, you know. We're going to have a a team of people down the front prepared to partner with God and pray with you. And if you would like to repent, if you would like to come before God and just say, God, I I just, um, yeah, I need to repent, then just come forward. We'll be praying down here. Um, Yeah, if you want to come forward and ask for a special deposit of the Spirit to help you be the kind of agent of service in the world that God destines you by the Spirit to become, then just come forward. If you want to have your heart enraptured with the beauty of the way of Jesus afresh, just come forward. So we're going to be praying. If that's you, we just invite you. Come and join us in prayer. And we'll sing together at the same time. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.